Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, uh, what an honor it is to be here, to just be able to share your word. And Lord, we cannot thank you enough for what's going on here on the, the west side. We thank you for the family that's here, reaching out to one another. But most of all, we are here because we want to lift up our worship to you. So Lord, help us to just focus in. We have so many distractions in life, but Lord, just let us focus in on your word. Thank you for loving us so much, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you got your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 15. Uh, John chapter 15, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. And uh, I want to reflect a little bit about a a time in my life when I was a teenager. When I was uh, 17, uh, just to give you a little bit of background for those of you that don't know me at all, because whenever I share a story about my nephews, in the back of your mind, you're going to always think, no, he means cousins. So I just want you to know I'm the youngest of seven. My mom was just shy of 42 when I came bouncing in this world, and um, uh, my oldest sister was pregnant at the same time as my mom. So I have a nephew older than me. So now you know why I'm like a freak show, okay? That's, that's why I'm the way I am. So when I was 17, I was out uh, hanging out with my nephews, hung out a lot in the summers with my nephews, and, and uh, we could not wait. Uh, here in West Virginia, this theater in Princeton, West Virginia. Larry, you know where that's at, don't you? Oh. And um, I could not wait because that summer, I'm telling you, everybody was talking about uh, this movie. So maybe you've seen this movie. I want to just show a few seconds of the clips, see if you guys know what movie I'm talking about. Yeah, if you want to stand up, you can do that. I, no, you don't have to. All right, we can cut it, Jason. That's good. We got it. That's good. I was going to keep playing it because I, I remember, I don't know if you remember the very first time you saw Star Wars, but I almost felt sorry. I, I actually had a date. I know you have a hard time believing that, but I had a date, and I kind of felt sorry for her because, honestly, I really could care less. You know, I was sitting around, I'm like, wow. It was just so profound, the special effect. There was something so different about that movie and that experience. Now, we know since then that that is a multi-billion, not million, billion-dollar enterprise. George Lucas sold it to Disney for nearly $4 billion. Now, Lucas, I'm sure you've read in the news, is starting, uh, is opening up in time a museum dedicated to the arts and Star Wars for $1.5 billion. So it's a pretty big deal. But if you take all of the complexity of Star Wars, and you boiled it down into a plot line. What is the plot line? Well, we have absolute evil, and it's dark, very dark. And then over here we have absolute good, and the good can always pierce through the evil, but only if the good will follow what? The force. Does that sound familiar? And if you open up the Word of God, and as complex as it is, God's profound message is there is absolute darkness and evil in this world. And here's the bad news. It will never go away as long as we live here on this earth. But here's the good news. There is a piercing light that will always dominate the darkness. And that light through Jesus Christ 
will make all the difference in the world. But he wants us to have the light. But you know what? We can't do anything with it if we do not obey his voice. You want to talk about a force? All of us have the force. But we have to decide what are we going to do with it. What are we going to do with this amazing power that God's given every one of us? Matter of fact, if you think about it, when Jesus gathered those followers, and in Matthew 28, we have this amazing picture. He's got all of these followers, and he's issuing the mission. Like, as I leave, this is what you need to do. And he said, go, and you know this, go and what? Make disciples. Baptizing them, and where are we willing to go? All over the world. So just think this this amazing day, just like Crystal's decision, can just visualize all over the world there are people who are surrendering their lives, that are being baptized. Just think about that. Just let that sink in. But we get lost, and we usually stop right there because Jesus then says, do this, and then he transitions to, now let me tell you what it is you need to share with people after they've surrendered to Jesus Christ. And do you remember the instruction? Obey everything that I've given you. That's the discipleship piece of it. Obey. Now, here's what's sad. That word obey is such an important word. And when those disciples, as we've been talking about in this study called Steps, when they followed Jesus and they began watching him, and uh, I don't know if they were taking notes, but mentally they were like, boy, this is important to Jesus. This probably should be very important to me. Here's one thing they realized about Jesus. His obedience to his heavenly father is imperative to everything he does. Every step that he takes, he is lockstep with the heavenly father, and he wants to obey the voice of his heavenly father. We are all called to obey. Matter of fact, I was thinking about how that's taken a negative connotation, that word obey, and it really shouldn't. Because Jesus was giving instruction through his entire life. Jesus, if you want to write this down, gave approximately 405 commands when he was walking this earth. Think about that. There's a lot to obey. But there's a word that I love that I found in John 15 that to me is so closely connected to that word obey that I hope this morning it will mean a lot to you too. And in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, we find this beautiful word, and it is the word abide. Would you just say that with me? Abide. And that word we're going to get into means so much, and we're going to just break that open, and we're going to look at the two ways that that word comes alive for every one of us, abide. So follow with me in John chapter 15, and first of all, let's just look at verses 1 through 4. Now, you need to know, again, sometimes I... I start plowing through Scripture, I forget sometimes. Some of you have gone, okay, well, well you're, you need to slow down, you know. So let me just say, remember the guy that wrote this, John, he's the youngest disciple, and yet he's the disciple who lived the longest. They think he lived to be nearly 85 to 90 years old, and at the, towards the end of his life, he wrote this gospel. So he is getting deep into what Jesus Christ shared with all those disciples. So listen to these words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. It's so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides. Now, I'm reading that from the New American Standard. That word abide in John's chapter 14 and 15 is used 11 times, and this section here that we're talking about 10 times, John uses that word. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. And to abide in Christ is learning to prune. Did you catch that? It's learning to prune. And that is a tough place to be. Now imagine when Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he, uh, he shares this example from agriculture. They all understood it. Matter of fact, in John, I love it, seven times he will use this phrase, I am. And then Jesus follows, I am something, something, something. So let's see how well you do. All of you grew up in Sunday school. Uh, rapid fire, uh, what are the I am's in the book of John? Jesus said, I am the I am the way. What's another one? I am the I am the truth. I am the Okay, get better than that. Okay, get okay. I am the bread of life. I am the I am the resurrection. I am the light. I mean, it just it's just I am, I am, I am. And then you can go all the way back. Here's what I just think is so cool. Do you remember when Moses was shaking in his sandals? I guess he wasn't. He took his sandals off. But anyway, he was shaking. And he's like, God, I cannot handle this. Man, what am I supposed to tell Pharaoh? Do you remember God's answer? You just tell them that I am is in town. Man, that's a Clint Eastwood scene right there. I mean, isn't it? I mean, that is a bad thing to say. I am is coming to town. And Jesus, the seventh I am is simply this. I am what? I'm the vine and you are the branches. And they totally understood that. If I were leading a life group right now, here, here's, the, here's the question I would ask the life group. I would, I would say, I want you to take the entire Bible, and I'd put you in two groups, and I'd say, now, this group, take the Old Testament. Every time you read about a vineyard or grapes or wine, how many times is that in the Bible that that's significant? In the New Testament, every time you read about a vineyard or wine or grapes, is that significant? Now, just think about that. Think how significant that is. Matter of fact, in the New Testament times, they have archaeologists have dug and they have found coins. On the back of that coin are actually uh, pictures of vineyards. It's a big deal. So when he says, I am the vine and you're the branches, I'm telling you, they leaned in because they understood that, that life comes from that vine. That he is saying, when I listen to the voice of God, when I obey my heavenly Father, I'm telling you, he gives me life. Hebrews 12, 1 says, to rid ourselves of anything that slows us down. That word prune simply means to cut away, to allow for future growth. Interesting enough, the Latin word for decision, so if you think about it, in your life, we all make big decisions. That word decision literally means to cut or to kill. In other words, as you're making these tough decisions in life, you have to decide what you say yes to, and you have to decide what you say what? No to. So I'm going to do something I guarantee you're going to love this. So when I say go, you yell no, okay? Go. go. Okay, say it like you mean it, okay? Go. go. Now, did that feel good? Matter of fact, really, there's a lot of days the only time you should say yes is if somebody offers you a breath mint, always say yes, okay? That just guaranteed, right? That, that's a commandment. That, that's a dead giveaway. You need the breath mint. 
but it is so hard to say no. Would you all agree? If you look back in your last week, I guarantee, if you're like me, you had at least a day where you're like, why did I just say yes to that? I should have said no. Raise your hand if you should have said no to something this week. Am I the only one? Good. The rest of you are not telling the truth. Okay, all of us have these times. There is a book uh, called Essentialism by Greg McCowan, and uh, it is really interesting. And his whole thing, it's a, it's a book on business, but his whole idea is that as he studied businesses, he found out they, they have got so scattered, they're pursuing so many things that many times they lose what they're really all about that we need to get down to what matters most. And so he did some extensive study on the word priority. Now listen to this. I think this is interesting. He said the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s, and it was always singular. It meant the very first or prior thing, and it stayed singular for the next 500 years. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term, and then we started talking about priorities. Illogically, we reason that by changing the word, we would bend reality. Now, that's interesting. He said, in all these writings, you kept hearing people say, what's your priority? And he said, around the 1900s, people were like, I don't like that really focusing on one thing. Let's say priorities. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, when I just get just frazzled, it always comes down to the same thing. I have way too many priorities. I mean, I'm chasing way too many things. And you can only do that for so long before other things that matter most truly begin to suffer. So let me give you some symptoms that you may need to prune some things in your life. If your car, I feel like Jeff Foxworthy, if your car looks like the opening credits from the Beverly Hillbillies, you may need to start pruning. If your room looks like Nick's room on New Girl, probably some of you have no idea what I just said, you may need to start pruning. If you are forgetting appointments, returning messages, your children, okay, you may need to start pruning. If you are expecting a child and you're considering names and you're considering the name Netflix for your child, you may want to start pruning. And now seriously, if you are slowly drifting from God, like you just don't feel the passion you felt for God that you once did, it may be God's way of saying, step back and start pruning. If you're taking stress out on the very people you love the most, it's time to start pruning. Now, full disclosure, this happened last Saturday. I had this great idea back in December we were going to have a luau. I still think it was a great idea. Until I was running around town gathering supplies. And anyway, I took it out on Marie. I mean, I'm, I'm, and she's like, what is your problem? I mean, you know how that is? I'm like, I don't have a problem. You know, you know how that is. And she's like, why did you even do this? And I'm like, because it's a great idea. We're going to have fun. You know, I mean, I just... And I look back, I'm like, okay, what was I doing? Okay, we do that all the time. We just keep piling things on and piling things on. And then we wonder why at times we feel like sometimes we want to snap. If the people that are in front of you, that God has put in front of you, become barriers. In other words, you view them as you're preventing me from getting my to-do list done today. 
you need to start pruning. If in the back of your mind you're thinking, I should ask this person how they're doing, but honestly, I don't want to know because it's going to take time for them to unpack how they're doing. That means you've got way too much on your plate. See, this whole idea of pruning, you know, people say, is the Bible really relevant? Are you kidding me? This applies to everybody. Psalms 103.5 says, God satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth can be renewed. I love that because, you know, when you're right with God, don't you feel like a kid again? When you're right in the sweet spot of God's will, you are energized. The hours fly by. But I'll tell you what, when you're working and you are on empty and you're pushing it and you say yes to one more thing and one more thing, you you have a spirit that becomes dried out and at times can be bitter. Psalms 84.11 says, No good thing does God withhold from those whose walk is blameless. God really wants us to have the desires of our heart. Do you know why? Because if you're truly seeking out God, your desires are his desires. He knows how he's wired us. He wants us to have a life that is amazing but he wants that life connected to him. Abide in me. Now listen to the rest of the text, starting in verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I am him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch. He dries up. They gather them. They cast them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, he has loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, let's read verse 11 together. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Did you catch that? One of the phrases you're going to hear out in the world sometimes is the health and wealth gospel. Do you know what that is? Uh, And be sad but true. Some preachers preach that You know, if you'll just give your life to Jesus Christ, he wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to be, you know, it just makes me want to puke. I mean, that is not at all what God is saying is if you sign up to be with me, your life is stress-free and it's happy and it's, it's unicorns and cotton candy. You know, that's not at all what he's saying. He said, if you give your life to me, it's not going to be easy. But I'm telling you, the world is pursuing easy. No, it's going to be hard. But I'm telling you, there is a core of joy that is coming your way that you cannot even imagine. And it's not about what you get. The joy comes by what? Giving it away. That's the way this thing is supposed to work. Didn't you love what Katie said? She has this joy. Why? Because she's got a lot of stuff? No, she's in Togo, Africa. Trust me, that's not the deal. The deal is lives are changing because she is moving her life and her light into others' lives. Two words that I want you to focus on this morning, and it's the words wants, value. Wants, value. 
we will always, if we're not careful, uh, run into a dead end if we, can, if we are always pursuing our wants. And we know that, because if any of you have ever moved and you start going through your closet, you know what I'm saying? And you pull the semi in to get all that garbage out of there. You're like, what? Will I, you know, what, why do we have three bowling balls? Why do we have that? You, know, you know that? And you go through that, and you're like, what was I thinking? Because what? Wants never get you anywhere. You just want more. You just want more. And think about all the times in life when we pursue our wants over the things that we value. Now, when you pursue true value in your life, what happens? In time, you start walking away from the wants and you start moving towards the value in life. And the ripple effect from that kind of life is beyond comprehension. It's not a quick fix. And trust me, it's not the way of this world. When you watch the Super Bowl tonight and you watch, which I'm weird, I think I like the commercials better than the game, especially since the Patriots are in. But anyway, if you are watching the game tonight and all those commercials, watch how many commercials deal with value and how many of them deal with wants. 99% are wants, okay? And then we wonder why the world feels so empty. Years ago, I, was, I used to love to watch The Twilight Zone, and I was watching this episode of The Twilight Zone, and this guy was in kind of a dream state, and it took him just a little while to realize that he was in a dream state. And as he's walking around, it's this huge casino, and he, he uh, plays his first game, and he wins, and there's all these beautiful women that start surrounding him. Those are the next game. He never loses. And then he realizes, you know what? I think I died. I, I don't think this is a dream state. I think this is eternity. And he kept winning. And then at the end of the day, he walks up to the guy and he goes, you know, I got to be honest with you. I figured this out. Um, this isn't earth. Um, this is my destiny. And he said, I really thought heaven would be different than this. And the guy said, who said this was heaven? And I remember thinking, Wow. I think we do fall into that. We think, oh, man, if I could just have this, oh, I'd be so happy. If I could just buy that, oh, my land, I'd be so happy. And then time goes by, and we're like, I don't know why I feel so empty. And then you see somebody that's full of joy, and they don't have two nickels that rub together. You're like, how could they be so happy? It's because they're pursuing value. They're not pursuing wants. I thought a lot about uh, people who've had the greatest impact in my life, and uh, it's, you know, growing up, <clears throat> I look at my mom and my sister, and they always pursued value over wants. Always. And then I thought about my in-laws. Uh, Tinker Barrel is my father-in-law who's passed away, and his name was Tinker. <clears throat> his name's Floyd. They all call him Tinker because he's always tinkering around and fixing stuff. That's definitely a farming community name. He's Tinker and Alma. So Tinker and Alma... Uh, had a farm, and there was nothing fancy in this farmhouse. Uh, and they had six kids, so you can only imagine at Christmas when all six kids and their families would come to the farmhouse and one bathroom. You think I'm kidding. Trust me, I am not kidding. I mean, it was just nuts. But when Marie and I were engaged, they started a tradition that at the time I thought, that's interesting. Uh, her mom and dad decided that they always wanted those six kids and their families together every year for four days, 
and they would pay 100% of the lodging wherever we landed as long as we bring money for um, all the extra stuff and fun, but she always wanted them together for four extended days. Imagine a family of six and all the kids, and imagine two of the son-in-laws being ministers. Good times. Okay, think about the dynamic here. Think how crazy that is. And if you lined all six of those kids up and everybody that they married, no one is even close to the same temperament. We're all out there in different worlds, okay? But she would bring us all together. Her, her and Tinker would bring us all together. They had two non-negotiables. Number one, we will eat dinner together. I don't care what fun you have, you be here at 6 o'clock, and they'd rotate teams to do the cooking, so we'd have this meal together. Number two is, if over the four days it lands on a Sunday, guess what? We will have a worship together. Now, it's fun to preach, but when you have worship with your family, just to tell you, that is not fun to lead that out, okay? But I look back, and that thing escalated to a point, uh, I think we have a picture here, of 2009, uh, Tinker and Alma celebrated their 60th anniversary. And that's a picture of all that crazy nut job bag together, okay? Now, I was thinking about the legacy that they left, and I thought of all the wants that they could have had. 30-plus years of all that. They could have probably bought a home for all the money they invested to bring us together. But they wouldn't exchange that for anything. And that has stuck with me. I'm like, wow. From the very beginning, they saw how valuable time with family was. And so they didn't worry about their wants. They just decided they're going to do something about it. We have that decision to make every day. If we pursue wants or we pursue value. And you know many times where it starts? Pruning. It's by saying, Lord, what is it I need to take off my plate so that I can have the relationship with you that you desperately want? Abide in me. And he says, and you'll have a joy that you can't even comprehend. 